Welcome to Talking Dairy, where we dive into the most important topics on the minds of New Zealand dairy farmers. In today's episode, we're unpacking the Climate Change Commission's carbon budgets proposal that landed with a thud on the last day of January 2021. What's in the report? What does it mean for dairy farmers? And do you need to do anything yet? Let's find out from DairyNZ's Principal Policy Advisor, Roger Lincoln. Hi Roger, thanks very much for coming on the, on the show today. Thanks Ben, it's good to be here. Brilliant. Hey, so first up, could you just tell us a little bit about what do you do here at DairyNZ and, and what's your background? Yeah, so um, I came on board in, in August and I came from uh, government and my role at DairyNZ is Principal Policy Advisor. So anything to do with government policy, I'm a bit of a troubleshooter. I mean, my, my time at the moment is spent uh, doing climate change work. And as I said, I came from government and had a variety of, of roles. So things like WTO trade access negotiations, some international climate change negotiations. And most recently, I was Director of, of Climate Change at the Ministry for the Environment. Brilliant. Hey, this this question's a bit off topic, but I was having a look at your staff biography on the DairyNZ page, and it said that you were bullied into getting a husky. What does that mean? Yeah, I've got um, I've got four kids. I'm married uh, with four kids, and uh, we had a vote on whether to get a dog. I was quite happy to get a dog, but I did not want a husky. But I was I was uh, outvoted five to one on that. Um, and, and just as I thought, um, huskies are, are kind of similar to my, my children, kind of disobedient, intelligent, but disobedient. That's how I'd, I'd kind of describe it. Yeah. So having a few adventures with the husky. Good stuff, mate. Hey, so Roger, tell us what is the Climate Change Commission and, and, and what's in their, their advice that, that came out at the end of January? Yeah, well, there's a lot in there, eh? Um, I think it's like 800 pages or something or other, so it's a decent bedtime read. If you remember the Zero Carbon Act that set up or established the Commission, and, and their role is to be like this independent voice and evidence-based organisation that provides advice to government. So you can think of them as, as like the climate policy watchdog, if you like. And they're thinking about New Zealand's sort of long-term commitments and then charting the course of how New Zealand needs to needs to get there. One of the things that's really important to realise is that the Commission provides advice. So they're not the decision makers, it's the government of the day that is the actual decision maker. So in terms of, of the policy outcomes, it's the government that you hold responsible for that. The Commission is just there to provide some independent and, and thought through advice on how that should happen. So the advice that they have given, can you break that down for dairy farmers? What's in there for them? There's obviously a whole lot of sectors covered in that 800 page, in those 800 pages. What's in it for farmers? Yeah, well, that, that's an important thing to remember too. This this piece of advice is not just about farmers and agriculture. So it's kind of nice, actually, that the rest of the economy is exposed to some of these things. The commission sort of, as I said before, charts that future course and they, they break up the future into five-year periods. And this advice is about the quota of emissions in five-year chunks looking forward. And the Commission has to look into the future 15 years ahead, so three carbon budgets. So what does that mean for dairy farmers? Well, there's a bit in there on transport and a bit in there on energy. For agriculture, in terms of policy, not so much because we're relying on Hewaka Ekanoa, the government's agriculture industry partnership, to deliver on some of those outcomes. But the Commission has set out some numbers for those emissions budgets. In respect of agriculture, it looks out to 2030 and to, to 2035. And what they're saying is that agriculture can do a bit more. And this is sort of one of the concerns that we have, and we've termed it shifting the goalposts. So if you are to compare the legislated targets of minus 10% for agriculture, the Commission's advice actually goes to minus 13. So we're testing them and pushing them around a bit and saying, 
hey, hang on a minute, that's minus 10 is is ambitious and minus 13, you know, that's that's really, really ambitious. So knowing what we know about farm systems, we're pushing back and talking to the Commission about how they can better look at that pathway for agriculture. Now, there was a bit of research that came out quite recently that showed that Kiwi dairy farmers have the world's lowest carbon footprint already. If that's the case, why do we need to do more? Yeah, that's right. Number one, um, that's something to be excited about and proud of. So I think that's a, that's a great achievement. But the thing is, there's a, there's a pack of countries which are sort of not far behind us. So this is about staying in, in pole position and seeking to exploit any opportunities that we have to remain at the top. We've got a really good climate change ambassador. In fact, we've got many of them. But um, George Moss, um, who's one of them, he, he talks about um, this thing about staying at number one is a race without end. So um, it's a good way to think about it. We need to keep working to be the best, including to manage our greenhouse gases. So our agricultural emissions will need to reduce over time. So we need to keep working to, to reduce them. This might be a dumb question, but why do we need to be number one? What's the value in being, you know, a, a world leader? I think there's a pride thing, right? It's always good to be number one. But I also think, you know, we sell our, our product into markets overseas and greenhouse gases and climate change are becoming really, really important issues. And they may spill over into, into trade. So I think it's important to keep working hard to reduce those emissions and to do it in a sensible way. Mm, sure. Hey, now, Roger, there was a lot of discussion and there was a lot of stuff in the media when the advice came out. A lot of stuff about the 15% reduction in the national dairy herd by 2030. That got a lot of headlines and created a bit of a stir. Is that actually something that the Commission is recommending? Yeah, I know that got a lot of attention and uh, a lot of farmers had had concern with that that figure as it was reported. But no, the Commission's not recommending a 15% reduction in stock numbers. And it's a little hard to explain, but think of it as this. it's The Commission does a whole lot of modelling and they throw in some assumptions. And then one of their modelling outputs, you know, to keep everything consistent, shows a 15% reduction in stock numbers. And that's across agriculture. So the 15% is not just dairy cows, but it's beef and sheep as well. So that assumption built in fewer cows from the recent water policy changes. And, you know, the Commission has assumed a lot of things about how agriculture can achieve emissions reductions. But of course, that reality may be a whole lot different from the way they think it will pan out. So no, there's not a recommendation per se to reduce stock numbers. Okay, thanks for clarifying. Now, that leads quite nicely on to DairyNZ's response to the Commission's advice. What are the key recommendations that we've made to them? Yeah, well, there's some good stuff in there and there's some not so good stuff in there. So I'll start with the with the concerns, which I think everybody is, is interested in. So I mentioned before about shifting the goalposts. So in terms of the level of ambition that the Commission is asking of the agriculture sector, we think that's too, too stiff. So we're questioning the Commission's findings on that. And we don't think that that level of ambition is justified either by the Commission's mandate or the, the science or the economics or our own farm systems assessments. Secondly, there's some underlying assumptions um, that the Commission makes around productivity improvements and also the stacking and scalability of mitigation solutions. So we think that the Commission's taken a very optimistic and rosy view of those things, so we'll be pushing back on that. There's also a key assumption about fewer cows, less dairy, same production with less methane. We don't think the future looks like that. We don't think that's possible without new technologies. So we're pushing back on that as well. And then finally, in terms of the, the modelling, we think that's lacking a little in terms of the distributional impacts on, on rural communities. 
some of our modelling shows that 34% of farms could go backwards financially with this advice that the Commission's put together. So that's what we'll be seeking to work with the Commission to resolve over the next month and a half. And we have some very good teams in Dairy NZ, so the economics team in particular ran a brand new model for us looking at the implications for dairy farmers and that information is in the submission. And then the farm systems guys as well, just looking through questioning those key assumptions in terms of stacking mitigation options and how do you scale those up and does that make sense? So all of that information is wound into the submission, which makes us look credible, right? Because we've got decades of farm systems experience, which the Commission doesn't have. They didn't have a farm systems model. They have to generalise. So making their advice better through our expertise is what it's all about. In terms of some of those good things, so there is some good stuff in this report. One of them is this, you may have heard about the split gas approach, and I can talk more about that later, but the Commission actually characterises the differences between long-lived and short-lived gases, and that's actually a good thing for farming. The Commission also says that Hewaka Ekanoa, that the partnership agreement between the ag sector and the government, needs to be successful and needs to be enduring. So that's that's a positive thing. And then the Commission also says that future technology solutions for biogenic methane are essential for New Zealand's overall pathway. So they've recommended a long-term investment plan, R&D plan, for biogenic methane, and that's critical, we think, so that's a good outcome. And then lastly, I think the Rural Broadband Initiative. So the Commission said that this needs to be resourced and prioritised to achieve its targets. And I think those actions will drive greater business efficiency, better decision making and keep communities better connected. So those are all positive things in the report. So Roger, picking up on that, what you mentioned there about uh, the split gas approach, the Commission's recognised that because methane's a short-lived greenhouse gas, it doesn't need to drop to zero by 2050. What is a short-lived gas and why is that good news for farmers? Yeah, well, let's start with the good news first. It's good news because it because methane doesn't need to get to zero. So all methane needs to do is to reduce and then stabilise at a particular level. So I think that's the good news in it. So just to explain the, the difference, so short-lived gases like methane, they have a stronger pulse of warming initially, and then they break down quickly relative to long-lived gases. And just to give you an indication of how fast they break down, for methane, it's probably over a generation. So short-lived gases are called flow gases. So as I said before, they need to reduce and then stabilise. Long-lived gases like CO2 accumulate in the atmosphere over centuries. So they are stock gases. So we're concerned about the accumulation of those long-lived gases because they break down more slowly. And just to give you an example, so in comparison, CO2 probably breaks down in the atmosphere over 30 generations, not a single generation. So that's the key distinction. So you think of those long-lived gases, if you put the plug in and you turn the water on, the water level just rises, right? Keeps rising. It doesn't stop unless you turn the tap off. And then with the short-lived gases, it's actually the tap running, but the plug out. And so it's all about the flow of, of gases, right? That's another way to explain it. And the science is quite clear that to solve climate change, long-lived gases need to get to zero, but short-lived gases can reduce and stabilise at a constant rate. So one thing we're actually pursuing with the commissions through our submission to them is to more accurately report on the warming contribution of each gas. So that you may have heard about greenhouse gas metrics. It's a very complicated topic, but there are different ways to measure the warming contribution of methane. So we want to compare these and we want the government to publish their greenhouse gas inventories using the different metrics. Thanks for explaining that. 
So, Roger, I've got a mate out in Raglan who's a dairy farmer, and he told me that the main things he wants to know on the subject are what do I need to do, when do I need to do it by, and how am I going to do it? And obviously that's, you know, other farmers will share those questions with them. What would you say to Danny out in Raglan? I think the main thing at this stage is, is to know your number. So by that I mean know your emissions profile and then then start thinking about the sources of your emissions and then the options to manage and reduce them through the farm environment plan. In terms of how you're going to do it, here Wakari Kanoa has just released some useful farm planning guidance on greenhouse gases. So you can have a look there as well. And that includes how to incorporate greenhouse gases into farm plans and then what you should focus on doing and opportunities to manage and reduce emissions. Some of those options will resonate for some farmers and not for others because it really depends on your farm and your farm system. So, for example, improving the efficiency of pasture and crop production, reducing total feeding on farm, matching feed demand with pasture growth and utilisation, improving the management of livestock effluent, I could go on, there's a long list, but I'll leave it to you to do a bit of research because it is farm specific. But I would start with knowing your number and then I would start with talking to other farmers about it. So make good use of our climate change ambassadors. Their details are on the Dairy NZ website. Get in contact with them and have a chat about what it is you need to think about. Brilliant. So what you're sort of saying there is that all our decisions are further down the track. There, there are, you know, there are things, plenty of things farmers can be doing now in the meantime to be proactive, yeah? Yeah, I think so. And also, it's not like this needs to happen tomorrow. So this is a transition, right? And it's a, a transition over a generation. So I think pause, take stock, know your numbers, talk to people and seek advice. That's where I would, I would start. We've had the Paris Agreement, the Zero Carbon Bill, Hewaka Ekenoa, and now these recommendations from the, the Commission. I'm pretty sure some people are feeling confused. I've been a bit confused at times. <laughs> Can you very simply explain how all of these things tie together? What's their relationship? Very simply is a challenge. <laughs> but I think, <laughs> do you, I think, do yeah, your best. You're right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. There's, there's, a, there's a lot going on. It reminds me of Raglan, actually. There's just wave after wave of thing, right? To, things to, to, to think about. And they're coming thick and fast. So I understand the confusion and actually the anxiety as well, right? There's a lot of anxious yep. farmers who are thinking about these things. I think that the one kind of theme that probably ties all these things together is a commitment to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So the Paris Agreement is New Zealand's commitment internationally. So New Zealand as a whole, our commitment to reduce emissions. The Zero Carbon Act is the domestic context. So in the Zero Carbon Act is New Zealand's long-term domestic target, so that's out to 2050, the whole economy, including agriculture. And then the Zero Carbon Act also established the commission, which we've talked about, and the process for establishing the carbon budgets, which is the most recent advice that the commission has put out for consultation. Hewaka Ekenau, which is the partnership agreement with government and the agriculture sector, will establish a pricing mechanism. So there was a debate, if you remember, about whether agriculture should be in the ETS and Hewaka Ekenawa is the outlet to create a pricing scheme at farm level by the 1st of January 2025 on our terms. So I think that's quite important. So the destiny is in our own hands in terms of what that system looks like and how it should unfold and what the money should be used for. So under Hewaka Ekenawa there is that opportunity to do it. If the pricing mechanism is in the ETS then you kind of know how that works right now. Price will increase over time, 
free allocation will decrease over time and any money that's generated within the ETS goes into the government's consolidated coffers. So Hewaka Ekanoa lets us determine some of that. So to sum up what's been going on, so what does New Zealand do internationally? That's the Paris Agreement. How is that distributed across the economy and across sectors? That's in the domestic legislation and part of this advice from the Commission. And then Hewaka Ekanoa is about how agriculture does its bit. You've talked about our submission on the Commission's advice. What else has the team at DRNZ been doing in response to this report? And can farmers be confident that DRNZ's got their backs on this stuff? Yeah, yeah, of course. I like to think that we do have farmers' backs on this. You can view our submission on, on the DRNZ website, and we've made that on your behalf. And I know that many farmers, including the climate change ambassadors, have also taken the opportunity to make their own submissions. So thank you for that. But do go and have a look at those issues because they're, they're important. If you look at the submissions, too, from the other, other sector bodies, the Federated Farmers or, or Beef and Lamb, you'll see very similar themes. And, and that's because we've worked really well with them in the lead-up. So it's pleasing that our concerns have been amplified in a way through other people's submissions too. So we will actually work with the Commission over the next month and a half as they finalise their advice. We've got a really good working relationship with them, which is positive. And there's also that ongoing work with Hewaka Ekanoa, there's the step change program within DairyNZ, and then following through on the sector's research and development needs. So we want this transition to be equitable, to be fair, to be granted by scientific considerations. So that's what we'll strive to do and have farmers' backs on. When are we expecting the Commission to finalise their advice? That's uh, the end of May. So 31st of May is when they hand over their final advice to government. In between now and then, they're sort of wading through the 10,000 submissions and they'll finalise that report and they'll take on board you know, some of that stuff that's come through the consultation. I want to see them rerunning their, their models and using some of our farm systems data and then revising some of their recommendations to government. So following that, we switch attention back to government. So government receives the commission's advice and then they'll colour in the detail of an emissions reduction plan and that's due by the end of the year. So that'll have specific policies. And I think for agriculture, it's still Hewakarekanoa charting its course and working through the details of that and that'll become clearer sort of end of this year first quarter of next year. So there'll be another round of consultations, presumably, and the opportunity at multiple points to, to feed in Dairy and Z's views, farmers' views, and to influence policy decisions. Ultimately, I think what we're after is a bit of stability, right? So stability for farmers, and then being able to chart that sensible pathway forward that's based on sound science. That's awesome, Roger, thanks. Is there anything else you'd like to add today? No, I'd just like to say, hang in there. I know the question about all the stuff going on resonates with me. I can understand that. Water policy, climate change policy, and undoubtedly there'll be resource management, reform, etc. We're wading our way through that as well and doing the hard yards for you. So thank you to all those farmers that have made submissions through our website. The template that we set up for you has hopefully made it a little bit easier. So know your numbers, talk to other people, get in touch with our climate change ambassadors. That would be my recommendations. Champion, thanks, Roger. Hey, thanks so much for coming on the episode today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for your time too. Thanks for tuning into Talking Dairy. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you'd like to check out more of our podcasts, go to dairynz.co.nz forward slash podcast or find us on your favourite podcast platforms.